Hey, online church family. We're so glad that you've joined us today. My name is Dan Lidstone, and I'm the creative pastor here at Connection Point. Well, we've been in a series called Greater Things, and in that series, our pastor, John Dickerson, has laid out a vision for where our church is going over the next two years. Here's the exciting part. A huge part of that vision involves you, our online family. All across the United States, we're seeing these digital hotspots popping up in different areas, but we see God especially energizing the Chicagoland area. Every week, we have over 600 people that join us just from the Chicagoland area. So we need to hear from you. We don't quite know who you are, but we would love to hear from you. So do us a favor, text the word Chicago to 317-350-1996. Just text us, we'll be in touch with you because we have some special things planned for you. Listen, if you're joining us from another area of the country, we still love you, we're still interested in hearing from you, and you can do this. You can fill out a connection card during the service today. Well, we're so glad that you've joined us today. We can't wait to see what God does. We believe he's gonna do greater things, and we're so glad that you're with us in that vision. Thank you so much. Um, Chris and I are just thrilled to be back home at Connection Point. Uh, we welcome you in the worship center and in the point, those in the lobby, and just privileged to be back here. For the last four weeks, I've spoken at four different places, but there's no place like home. That's the truth. Uh, in fact, this was, has been our home now for 33 years today. Uh, we started our ministry here the last... Um, <laughs> My wife didn't realize it until I kind of mentioned it last night, but just kind of going back to that, it was the last week of June, 1986, when we moved here with our three preschoolers uh, to begin our journey together. So what a privilege to come back and to be a part of this series, the how-to series. John called me last year if I could guard this particular week and clean up this four-week series, be the fourth part of the series, the how-tos, and you have had some great teaching about how to uh, fulfill your dreams with God's help how to find peace, uh, how to parent, make sure your kids know that they are loved. And so he's asked me to talk how to be married for a lifetime. And so we're going to talk to you about that today. And I want to begin with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. When you look at this verse of Scripture, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now we leave that verse up there for just a minute. When something's in the Bible one time, that's a big deal. When it's in the Bible two times, that's a big, big deal. When it's in the Bible three times, that's a big, big, big deal. When something is in the Bible four times verbatim, pay attention, y'all. <laughs> this particular phrase, without change, is repeated four different times in the Bible. God wants us to understand something about this vital relationship called marriage and the Apostle Paul writes from prison cell to this church in Ephesus as a single man. And he says this one thing about it in verse 32. This is a profound mystery. Isn't that the truth? Tim Keller has an excellent book called The Meaning of Marriage. He begins his book writing about this verse of Scripture. Here's what he writes. Listen very carefully. Marriage is glorious but hard. It's a burning joy and strength, but it's also blood, sweat, and tears, humbling defeats and exhausting victories. 
No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could ever be described as a fairy tale come true. Therefore, it's not surprising that the only phrase in Paul's famous discourse on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 that many couples can relate to is this phrase, this is a profound mystery. (laughs) He concludes, at times your marriage seems to be an unsolvable puzzle, a maze in which you feel lost. And I believe all of this, but yet there is no relationship between human beings that is greater or more important than marriage. This is a picture of Kristen with some skinny, really good-looking dude (laughs) on May the 7th, 1976. Who is this hippie with this smoking hot girl? How did he pull that off? He married up. (laughs) Last week I preached at a church uh, and uh, I said in the beginning, I married up, and a guy came out the door and he said, you know, I agree with the one thing you said today, you really married up. <laughs> and that I did. And so on May the 7th, 1976, we began our lives together, and you can look back if you are married today on that time, you had no idea what that day was doing in your life. Uh, the adventure you were launching into You had no comprehension to what degree and how serious this was going to be. That ceremony, that little ceremony launches you into. And so would you please take out your notes and a pen or a pencil. Let's talk about this. As John has asked me to talk about it today, let's kind of review briefly the three phases of marriage. There's first of all the honeymoon phase. Would you raise your hand if you're in the honeymoon phase? Oh, look at them. Bless their hearts. They're all smiling, just like that. There's a special glow kind of coming up from their chairs. I mean, man, it's just great. It's exciting. Every day's anticipation. It is just so rosy. And people kind of think because of, you know, media and movies and stuff, this is the way it's kind of going to be. You're supposed to have a honeymoon phase, and it's going to last forever. Well, my wife and I have three granddaughters, six, three, and three, We had them overnight, all day on Friday, and overnight. Did I mention overnight on Friday? (laughs) And so if my wife goes to sleep during the message, nothing personal. Understand that. But it was fun having them. But it was more fun this past year when we were able to see them meet Cinderella in Disney World. We do Cinderella in our house. Those of you who know my wife know how sweet and tender and kind she is. But you probably don't know what kind of a parent she can be. Years ago, she called on the Cinderella story to help her. Our daughter and Danielle, and we had three preschoolers, as I mentioned, you know. And so, Kristen um, had a lot of things going on while leading a church of about 500 people, 25 years old, you know. So, she's, she's cranking along there through life. And so, uh, the place was just a mess, and my wife had this thought. She said, honey, you want to play Cinderella? I'll be the wicked stepsister. How do you clean up all these toys? And she did. Now, you thought she was more spiritual than that, didn't you? Practical woman I married, all right? And you know the story of Cinderella, don't you? I mean, you know the story. We all love the story. I mean, Prince Charming meets this poor gal, has no break in her life, but, oh, man, they end up going out together on a date, and, boy, he's so smitten with her. She leaves a slipper behind, and he has to search the whole kingdom to find her. He has to find her again. And so, you know, uh, finally he does, and they get married, and you know how the story ends, and they live happily 
ever after. And we just love that and we watch it over and over and over again. But I'm wondering when Disney World, Disney is going to go into like reality. Cinderella Part 2, reality TV. What would that look like? Well, let's just think about it. Let's just go two months into the marriage. How about that? Just two months. How, how would that look? I picture Cinderella, you know, getting up and, I mean, clothes are everywhere. Uh, the cap, she can't find the cap for the toothpaste. Uh, the toilet seat is up. She goes storming into the bedroom, you know, and she says, you know, what in the world is wrong? Why won't you clean up after yourself? Man, I mean, I, I don't have to wait on these wicked stepsisters anymore but I had to wait on this slob every single day and you just when are you gonna get out of bed what is going on with you you know what he's thinking what have I done I mean this girl I thought was the most beautiful person in the world she was my dream girl she was so precious and cute but you know her background's a little different than mine the lack of sophistication and a redneck grammar is not working too good with my my noble family it's a little awkward around here and oh, by the way look at her hair it's a mess again today she hadn't shaved her legs in two weeks. <laughs> and when she comes to bed in a flannel bag every single night, what is up with this? Cinderella part two would be rated PG-13. For some strong language, but no sex and nudity, all right? <laughs> That's phase two, y'all. It's the party is over phase. Somebody asked a bride, so what's the difference between your husband, the fiance, two months before you were married, and uh, or rather two months ago when you got married, fiance and a husband, what's the difference in two months? She said about 25 pounds. Uh, well, things do change pretty quickly, don't they? Expectations are unmet. Delight turns into disillusionment. Dating turns, turns into debating. Romance turns into resentment. And then if you add some children, that just makes it really fun and complicates the marriage. See, here's how it works. There's a husband and there's a wife, and they commit to each other. And that's a big deal to learn right there. Two different family systems and backgrounds and histories, and they have to begin to dialogue. And then you have a kid along the way. And if you're like my wife and I, then three years later, you have another kid. And then 11 months later, because we got really good at this, <laughs> we added a third one. Now we really had fun because each kid, it gets more and more challenging, more and more complex because you've got communication going here, 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 every direction. And then add to that the 1,300 blended marriages that happen every day in America. Okay? Every single day. 1,300 blended marriages, each with a separate family, kids, and in-laws. That's really tough. There's no, it's no surprise that the second marriages uh, are twice as likely to end in divorce than a first marriage. And don't be discouraged if that's a reality. It's because God has you there, and your love can change that family. You stay right where you're at, but it will be complicated. The complexity to navigate is just incredible. But with God, all things are possible. And so the deal is, when you get to this party's over phase, you have a couple of options. I would like to make the case from the scripture today to go this route, the built to last phase, okay? That's really what we hope you're going to do, the built to last phase. Let me just make sure we understand how this works. So you start and you have this honeymoon and woohoo, you're off and rolling and then the party's over hits and now you've got a couple of choices and so you're going to build this thing to last. All right, that's a good thing. 
You're going to respond to the stress in the right kind of way. You're going to build this thing to last. You're going to grow. Yes, reality sets in. All the issues start to settle in. At the same time, you begin to work on a marriage for a lifetime. And so that's the goal today, regardless of whatever marriage you're in today, first, second, third, it doesn't matter in your marriage today. If you're married, God's vision is you'll be together for a lifetime. And you want to learn today how to build this thing to last. And the deal is when you do that, it's an amazing thing. It's really true. Couples who've been married 25 years, 43 years. Uh, I had a funeral a couple of weeks ago for Delma Brower, her and her husband Bob. Talked to him today. They were married 67 years. I have a funeral Tuesday for Laura Basso, my assistant for a time here on staff here. Her father, Gene, passed away. Mother Sandy, they've been married 60 years. And in both those cases, I talked with those folks before their, their mate passed, and they said, I love that person more today than the day we married. And some of you are young, and you hear an older couple say these are the best days of their lives, and they're going, it's really the best day of our life right now. It really is the best day of our life right now. And you're looking at them, you're going, really? I can really tell that. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to you. If you're younger, you, you don't get this. And especially you don't buy it if you're in the party's over phase. You haven't learned yet to build the last phase. If you learn to do that, if you learn to develop the skills to build this thing to last, that's God's vision for every single marriage. But I have to at least briefly describe there is another option when the party's over. And so let's just understand there is another option. And many people take that option. And that is, well, the party's over. You just kind of settle. I guess this is just the way it's going to be. And so you just kind of give up on the relationship. And the marriage, of course, starts to spiral. Or you decide, well, the problem is just your spouse. Oh, you just married the wrong person. If you just can find the right one, things will be all right. So you need a do-over with that. Or you'll find a toxic way. Real common the party's over, so you find a toxic way to deal with the pain in this relationship. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about something like a bury your head in, an, in your iPhone instead of looking into the eyes of the person in front of you. Or an addiction that develops, addiction to sex or alcohol or abuse. Those are just things that kind of escape the pain of this relationship. And the sad thing is folks will make those kinds of really self-destructive decisions when the party's over. And the truth is, if they would, they can understand they're at a pivotal point. They, they're right when they could begin to learn the skills they haven't ever needed before. But now you need some skills you didn't need when you were single. And if you'll learn to deal with that, things will be so much better for you. And we said this in our wedding day. Most of us did. I mean, there's some hope if you could. Today, regardless of your situation, your marital history, if you will just say, you know, maybe there's a better way. And this is a holy moment today for some who are in the lobby and in the point and the center. Because you're, at, you're, at right, you're right at that point today. And today you're going to say, fresh start. This is going to be a life changer as God begins to build your relationship that will last. If you just open your heart and say, is there really a better way? And so we go back to the simple vows, the vows that I said to my wife years ago, that I, Steve, take you, Kristen, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. 
you are never getting rid of me. <laughs> and she knows that's true. That's a commitment I made. It's a commitment she made to me. And I really said of her what Adam really said that was the truth when he married Eve. You know, he said, you're the only girl in the world for me. <laughs> and he was telling the truth. But she was the one that was right for me. It hadn't been a perfect marriage, but the deal is we did make a vow to invest in the relationship. And I wasn't making a vow to say, well, I'll try not to run away. I'll try not to hurt you physically or emotionally. Because the deal is those vows, those real vows really are the key based out of Scripture. They're the key to a lasting marriage. Now, with that background, whether you are single today, single again, widow or widower, okay, uh, just whatever your relationships are, these principles will apply because John's asked me to apply it to marriage. That's the way we're going to focus today. But I'd like to study a passage that's not typically viewed as a marital passage, but it's a relational passage. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible or your app, your device, and let's study this wonderful teaching from Philippians chapter 2. The apostle writes as a single man from prison to a church in Ephesus about relationships. And herein are some principles that we can learn that apply to making a marriage that will last for a lifetime and relationships that will be healthy for you in your lifetime. Let's read together. I'll read this. You'll follow along, if you would, from the New International Version. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to, to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. So let's talk about six values, okay, or characteristics. And as we look at these, every single person, you can't delegate this to your spouse or somebody else. Everybody needs your own pen or pencil. Do not look at your neighbor's paper. But I want you to grade yourself one to ten on these six characteristics, okay? And if they're low grades today, this is not going to be a downer. The good news is now you're going to know. And so when you leave, you know what you need to do to begin to grow in these areas. So let's talk about communication, first of all. Communication. Here's your fresh start. Verse 4. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. How are you going to know the interest of your spouse if you don't communicate? You know how often the average couple in America communicates like face-to-face, one-on-one? Four minutes a day. So we're together more than that. We watch television, go to a movie, a concert, ball game. We cry to the last act on America's Got Talent every week. Well, that's great. We do too. But four minutes a day, one-on-one, that, that's not what that is. Why do couples only spend 28 minutes a week talking face-to-face? I'll tell you why. Number one, men and women communicate differently. Have you noticed this? I said, have you noticed this? Okay, so this is why this is a challenge. I heard about this husband and wife, and they were traveling, and the police officer started flashing lights and pulled them over. said, sir, you're going 12 miles over the speed limit. The man said, I was not speeding. I never speed. Turned to his wife. He said, right, babe, I never speed. She said, oh, you know you speed. 
You say, they'll give you five miles an hour, I'll take ten. You do it all the time. He just keeps writing that ticket. And boy, that husband turns to his wife, and he's just telling her not for, for not backing him up, having his back here in the situation. Officer says, oh, I also notice you're not wearing your seatbelt. So I'm going to add out that to the ticket, too. He said, oh, I always wear my seatbelt. He looks at his wife, don't I, babe? Don't I? She said, no, you never wear your seatbelt. You know that. You always say, if there's, if there's a fire, I'll never get out of here. I'll, you, know, you don't even wear your seatbelt. You never wear it. Well, he just started telling her off like crazy. Police officer just kept writing. Suddenly he walked around to the other side of the car and knocked on the window of the wife. And she looked up. And he's just telling her off. And he says to her, ma'am, does he always talk to you like this? She said, only when he's been drinking. <laughs> telling y'all, when you don't communicate, the party is over. It's done. Now, honestly, most couples struggle with communication. I mean, there are no exceptions here. And the great news is, I said this before, I drop it on again, communication is a skill. You, you, I mean, don't say, well, I just have never learned how to do this. I'm not a talker. I don't listen well. You can learn how to do this. Anybody can learn if you want to have a healthy relationship. You have to learn to communicate. There's one thing Kristen and I did when I was in full-time ministry, full-time pastorate, uh, uh, on Fridays, we would just really guard our time to have breakfast, the two of us, once the kids were in school, empty nest. And it was just a time that was marked, and we knew we were going to kind of have that time, what's important, what's going on in our lives. And it was very, very important to do that, eye to eye. Some of you have st small kids. My opinion is that's the toughest stage of marriage. It was for us when the kids are small demands so much of you with small kids and your own relationship can just suffer so it's really really hard and so you know you can you can you can work on it can I just give a suggestion couples here with small kids two two words couch time couch time commit 15 minutes a day to sit down either at the end of work or more likely once the kids are in bed asleep <laughs> spend 15 minutes just say oh, how was your day just take 15 minutes and I mean don't miss that 15 minutes It'll be a game changer for you. You can do that. Did my wife and I do that perfectly? No. Did we do it every week? No. But anything you do intentionally like that will enhance your communication and certainly your relationship. So here we go. Grade yourself. If you communicate almost never, be honest and put a one. If you communicate sometimes, give yourself a five. If you say we schedule times to communicate regularly, put a ten. Now, again, I don't want you to get discouraged. If the numbers are low, you came from a dysfunctional family, if you'll begin to practice this, you will be, listen, you'll be, be a better communicator. Um, they say 22 habits, or 22 days in a row to do something becomes a habit. But if you will work on these basic skills of communication, talking, listening, though you've never experienced it, if you begin to work on it, in six months, by Christmas, you're going to walk in here and gonna, you won't believe how different your relationship will be. It'll become second nature to learn how to talk and listen to each other. You can do that. So that is a goal and a fresh start. It starts today. Number two is consideration. Pay attention to what others say and how they feel by validating them. Okay. I mean, the maid comes in and talks to you about something or somebody important to you and you nod, you grunt. Put the iPhone down. Stop scrolling. 
Turn off the television. Stop putting toys away, putting away the dishes. Stop working on cleaning the cunning just clump. Put it down, look into their eyes, and listen. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. If you're married, cross out the word others and put your spouse. Value your spouse above yourself. You say, what does that mean? Because I'm a guy, I'm just going to talk to the guys because that's all I can do. But if you're a guy, that means things like when you know she's bringing in the groceries, she pulls into the garage, the final four is on, it's the last two minutes of the game. It means you get up and go help her bring in the groceries. Fast. (laughs) Uh, Guys, it means uh, make sure that both of her legs are inside the car before you back out of the driveway. You say, how do you know that? How do you think I know that? James 3.17 says this, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, it's considerate. If you're wise, it comes from God, you will be considerate. When I used to do premarital counseling for every couple that I married, I would ask them to give me a definition of love, and I, there were some doozies, lots of really good ones. I think the best definition of love I've ever seen is this, love is an unconditional regard that causes me to put your wants and needs above my own you may not want to do that but you can do that it'll change everything so rate yourself if you will say honestly you know i'm considerate when i want sex or i'm having a good day give yourself a one if you say i help my mate if they ask for help give yourself a five if you say i look for ways to lighten the load of my mate or my close friend give yourself a ten Number three is compromise. You know, generally, the the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it just says this little phrase, love does not demand its own way. We're going to compromise. See, if either of you comes into your marriage thinking, you know what, if I can just get him trained, we'll be good. If I can just get her to change this, we'll be fine. Because it's all about you. You She's the problem. If either of you are thinking that way in your marriage you will have conflict for the rest of your life unresolved conflict wise couples on the other hand recognize they are going to see things differently and that won't change some things that will probably cause some conflict but the solution for the conflict will be loving compromise compromise now this is obviously a very very big deal because if you each have two different people here with two different perspectives both of you are necessary so you're gonna have some different thoughts and you're never going to agree on some things you accept them and love them even though you never agree on it because you make some compromises just some practical examples let's say vacation since it's june vacation it's party time or maybe a few times Because how do you do vacation? Some of you want to do 50 things in 10 days. Your partner probably would rather go to your relatives and sit in a hammock for a week. Which you going to do? You're going to have to compromise a little bit, all right? Um, Just uh, work on changing some things, rotating the way you're going to do things. Kids. How are you going to raise your kids? (laughs) Uh, Often, one of you will tend to be more tender-hearted. 
One is maybe a little more severe. And so how's that going to work? The problem with that is, the tendency is, it's not that way you tend to be. The problem is you get self-righteous and you think the way you see it is the only way it should be. But God's idea is that probably you're going to complement each other. And the tough and tender blends together really well. And you talk about it to make sure you're on the same page and the kids can't work you against each other by being on the same page. So study a biblical ethic of parenting. There are tons of resources around this place. Get on the same page and work on this together. And adjust as the stages change in life. Number three is money. This is huge. One of the top reasons of every survey for couples divorcing over money. Because some people naturally like to save it. Others like to spend it. In marriage often there's a little bit of both. Again, that's valuable. They each can help the other if you work to compromise. Number four is sex. If you're married, how often should you have sex? I need a drink before I talk about this. <laughs> During premarital counseling for my wife and I, we sat down with our pastor. We had not had sex before marriage. So we did and We walked in there like this. And our pastor looked at both of us and he said, how often do you think you ought to have sex? Would you like to know what my wife said? She ain't no way I'm telling you. <laughs> I would like her to go home with me today. And I'm not going to tell you what I said either, okay? So just, you know, deal with that. But I will tell you this. All the studies say the same blooming thing. People in America who have the best sex and the most sex are evangelical Christians who are married and committed together over and over again. I know all the random sex you hear about in the world, the way they portray all of this kind of stuff in our culture, but the fact is every survey says that the people who have the most sex and the best sex are evangelical Christians married to each other. And the reason for that is God teaches us to lavish love on our mate. That's why it works that way. God made us that way. The one who made us, don't you think he knows how it works best? And so we do it his way. It's amazing how it works. And so, guys, as you walk into the bedroom tonight, and you're thinking drop everything, and she's thinking drop dead, that's a problem. <laughs> so back off, a little compromise, a little discussion. Let's make a solution together. By the way, I know some of you want to know how often should a couple have sex together. The answer is as often as both of you want to. Number five, time off. How will you spend your day off? By the way, it's not just your day off. It's your family's day off. As a couple, it's, it's, your, it's your time off. Don't miss this. Do you know that more marriages, more marriages, I said more marriages, they're going to come up there? There we go. More marriages die from inflexibility. This is huge. That's why I couldn't move without seeing it. Because you've got to see this. More marriages die from inflexibility than from alcoholism, abuse, or adultery. Can you believe that? That's true. Being inflexible, people say, oh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have trouble with any of these issues. I'm, I'm just a little inflexible. That's a bigger deal. You have to learn to be flexible and compromise together. So grade yourself on this one. You say, you know what? It's just the way I am. I just say the way I feel, okay? Well, if your spouse has ever said to you, you just always have to have it your way, don't you? 
if they say that to you, give yourself a minus 10. All right? Listen to it. If you say, well, we try to talk about the issues that we don't agree on, give yourself a 1. If you say, we try to work on it till there's a compromise, give yourself an 8. You say, you know, we both, we just go the second mile. Every time we disagree, give yourself a 10 and put a 1 underneath it for lying in church, all right? <laughs> so a 9 is pretty good. A 9 is pretty good. Number four is courtship. <clears throat> That's enjoying each other emotionally and physically. Now, because this is a PG audience, I'm going to read from the Revised Standard Version because the original Hebrew and other translations are a little more risque. So please, some of you I know, you're wanting to turn there right now. Now, read this one with me, the Revised Standard Version. Just look at it with me. Let her affection fill you at all times with delight. Be infatuated always with her love. That just means enjoy your mate all as much as you possibly can. You enjoy them at all times. Somebody said if there were more courting, there was more courting in marriage, there'd be less marriages in court. Don't stop dating. Don't stop courting. See, you never can overestimate uh, the importance of keeping romance alive in your marriage. Okay? I heard about a couple. Gal was depressed, and so he took his wife to see a psychiatrist. Didn't know what to do, so the doctor said, can I talk to your wife alone for a few minutes? And so he talked to uh, the wife privately, and he determined she really was depressed, mainly because she was starving for affection. So uh, he brings the husband back in, and the psychiatrist walk over, walks over to the guy's wife, and he gives her a big hug, and I mean, he plants a kiss on her lips, a big kiss on her lips, the psychiatrist. He looks at the husband. He says, your wife needs that every single day of the week. And the husband said, we can only come on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> so girls, work with us. We're slow, to, we're slow, okay? But work with us. We can get there. <laughs> Ephesians 9 verse 9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. So schedule a date night at least once a month. As I said earlier, when your kids are small, it's hard to do that. But find a way to invest time in your marriage. Guys, this is no extra charge here today. But you want to get a killer birthday present or a Christmas present or just a present because you love your mate, you wrap up a, a nice calendar, a blank calendar, and give that to her. And you ask her to write date night twice a month and there for a year. Uh, things will start to change in your marriage like that. Often in ministry, people would call and say, I have to see you today. And sometimes I would have to say, I cannot see you today. I have, a, I have another appointment. This was another member of the church who happened to be in my home, our family. This past April, we concluded our second interim ministry with the church in Ohio. Um, they called on Monday, and we had just concluded our, minute, our time there. And they said, hey, can you come back in two weeks on Mother's Day and preach on Mother's Day? And so we were in the car and listening to his voice. I looked over at Kristen. He said, can you come and preach on Mother's Day? And I went, no, I cannot. No, I have another appointment that day. Um, and so, but I'll get somebody for you to come. And so I arranged a speaker and, and I canceled that uh, speaking engagement and opportunity. But here was what caught me a little off guard, to be honest with you. After 43 years of marriage still, <laughs> after we hung up, 
Uh, Kristen just turned to me without a second, and she just said, thank you, thank you for turning down that invitation to speak. Now, she knows this is my happy place. But as soon as I turned it down and she said that to me, I was in a happier place. Trust me. So work on this. Where are you? If you say a date, we don't need the date anymore. We're, we, we're solid. We don't need the date. Who needs a date? Give yourself a zero and write nerd on your card. Okay? Or clue phone, it's for you. Whatever. If you schedule a regular night, give yourself an eight. That's great. If you write love notes to your spouse, give yourself a 10. And would you come down and mentor me after the service today? That's a good goal for all of us to shoot for. You could do that. Number five is commitment. Verse two, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same, same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. We know all about the commitment of Christ that we have celebrated together. And that commitment he's taught us when we give it to each other brings joy, man. And if you refuse to commit, it will bring sorrow and conflict and suffering to everybody involved. And that's why God says with great pain in his heart in Malachi 2 verse 16, I just hate divorce. I hate it. Make sure you do not break your promise to be faithful to your mate. Now don't put words into God's mouth here. That does not mean you're going to be a perfect person in marriage. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up in some kind of way. It does mean when you mess up, you ask for forgiveness and you change. You don't repeat that hurt and pain and you stay committed. And that verse does not say that God hates divorced people. There's somebody he loves more than people who've been broken. Okay? But God hates it when a marriage dies because of a lack of commitment. So let me say it another way. It, it does take two to make a marriage. It only takes one to end a marriage. And often it's just because one says, because the world is always saying, you got to be happy. Got to take care of you. I'm just not happy. So I'm out of here. Listen, a lifetime marriage does not mean no mistakes are made. It does mean both spouses are committed to each other in spite of mistakes. Okay? Don't miss this. See, living to do what's best for you, that's not what's best for you. No matter how many times you hear it. Doing what God says is best for you, that's actually what's best for you. In fact, here's a definition of commitment. I received more comments from this phrase than any over over the weekend here it is commitment is being willing to be faithfully unhappy that is not a typo to be faithfully unhappy until you work out your problems if you're married for a lifetime you're going to have some unhappy days but if you'll be committed together to working through that joy will come in the morning so jot down one through ten if you say, well, I'm thinking about leaving my marriage, give yourself a one. If you say, I, I, I use the threat of divorce um, when we're having a disagreement. I use divorce as kind of a threat. Um, give yourself a two. If you say, I just don't see divorce as an option, give yourself a ten. 
That's one of the things my wife and I did do right 43 years ago. We said it's just not going to be an option. The word just isn't going to be an option for us. And I want to quickly state, however, there is one exception here. And so if, and that is this, if you're in danger or your mate is not willing to repent and be committed to you in marriage, then uh, it's pretty tough for you to stay in a committed marriage. But the key is number six, and that's Christ. I mean, this is the key to cultivating the other five habits here. It's your connection with Christ himself, because don't miss this. It takes two to make a marriage, but it takes three to bind a marriage. So you invite Christ to lead your marriage. He'll give you the power to do what you never thought you could do on your own as you address these priorities. See, verse 5 concludes, you must, you must have the same attitude. Think about this. It's a high bar that Jesus Christ had for you. So trust the Christ inside of you to use you to build a marriage that will overcome the obstacles that life will throw at you because the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to ask Jesus Christ to be the head of your home and to lead your home. This church exists to help connect you to Christ. And if after the service you'd like to talk and pray with somebody about that, they'll be in the front here, folks will be at the connection corner, but you do what you need to do to make him Lord of your life. So rate yourself one through 10, be honest. You see, um, Christ has no place in our marriage. Give yourself a one, at least you're here, and now you know. You can begin to work on this. If you say we come to church together and sometimes we talk about the message, give yourself a five. If you say we're committed to Christ and each other, in fact the church is a building force for our marriage, give yourself a ten and you stay there. Uh, My wife gave me this ring, this very ring, 43 years ago on May the 7th, 1976. She told me it was very authentic, expensive gold. What I've learned is it shrinks over time. (laughs) So we had it enlarged so I could be reminded of the commitment that she made to me and I made to her and we made to the Lord. Please make these investments. Talk about them with your spouse or some person significant in your life. Ask Jesus to lead an ongoing transformation in your life, your home, and your relationships. And I want to say if you're married or you're engaged and sitting by that person, would you grab their hand right now? I want to pray with you and over you. Kind Father, I pray today for every single person listening to my voice. I pray they're hearing not my voice, but your voice and your truth. Your mercy that's new every morning. This is not a day to say, oh, I just messed up. Man, I wish I knew this before. I wish I could start over. Well, guess what? You're the God of second chances. Today's a fresh start. God, I pray that your love will be felt and experienced in a whole new way at home and in our relationships. And God, it's what you want us to do and your commands are not burdensome. When we taste and see that the Lord really is good, it's not bitter, it tastes good. 
when we do things your way. It blesses others, but it also blesses us. And God, I just pray you'll continue to, to make our lives, our relationships, and our marriages the very best they can possibly be through Christ, the hope of glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said.